this morning, who can name five of the most wealthy people in all the world? You might guess one or two names, perhaps, or five of the last men who were inducted into the Football Hall of Fame. Perhaps one or two of you are sports fanatics and could do that. Or who knows who won the Academy Award for Best Actor three years ago? Or who won the World Series over the last ten years? The world would have you to believe that these things, that this list of people, it would be very important. It would be worthy of your remembrance. But we recognize that we don't remember these things so readily. So let me ask you another series of questions. Name two or three teachers who really made a difference in the course of your education. Who are the people that were there for you at difficult points in your life? They stayed with you. They stood beside you. They prayed with you. They were encouragers. Who are a couple of people that you enjoy spending time with? They are a blessing. They're always a blessing to be with. Maybe even when they're just with you and they say nothing at all. I dare say we would all do better with answering that second set of questions rather than the first. Why is that? Well, the people that matter most to us are those who are the most help to us along the way as we make our way through life. It's not those who have a wall populated with awards and shelves of trophies and accolades to their names. It's people who cared, people who took time for us. They made sacrifices to serve us. This principle of serving others is what Jesus has established in this upper room so many years ago. He took up the task of a slave to wash dirty feet. His actions showed that he cared and that no task was so lowly but that he would do it. In a matter of hours, Jesus would undertake an even greater task of service. He would humble himself to the point of death, even the cruel and shameful death of a cross, for cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. God, the creator of all, sent his son to save his creatures from sin. The way of salvation was costly. We should understand it's the most costly gift ever given, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus washed dirty feet of the twelve, and it was done prior to the cross to teach humble service. Jesus makes it very clear in our text this morning that we have been called by Christ to serve others. There's a reality that uh, is at work in the broader uh, community of what we'll say the church. There are those who are uh, considered to be liberal Christians, and they love Christ as an example. Uh, they love to look at the things that he's done, passages like this, and make much of it and you know, stir you up to go and do good things for others. That would be okay if that was not their only impulse. We know from the context, as we have already seen, that what Christ did in washing feet was but a picture of the washing away of our sins. And that was accomplished by Christ crucified in the shedding of blood. Christ on a cross, a Christ who died. And the liberals do not like crosses and blood where they speak of sin and our need of a Savior. But indeed, the text teaches us both that are true. And indeed, we do find here Christ as our example. Christ is our example in many things, but he first and foremost is our Redeemer. 
For if it were not for his redemption and the work of his grace in our hearts, we could not do those things that he has set the example for us to do. For we do them only by the strength and power that he gives. Now, the worship guide has a sermon outline that is inaccurate. Um, I supplied that earlier in the week, and um, I have combined the first two points into one, and I've combined the last two points into one. So we have two points this morning. The first one is, do as I have done, a call to service. The second one is, serving Jesus results in blessedness. So we begin with the first one, do as I have done, a call to service. The scene of Jesus wrapped in a towel and washing his disciples' feet must be a scene that those men could never forget. The one who has led them, the one who has done miracles, the one who has preached with authority and power has stooped and undertaken the lowest task of all, that which is left for a slave. But Jesus wants them and us to take this lesson from this event, and from it he calls us to service. It's so clearly set out in this text. In verse 12, Jesus asked a question. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Now you remember last week that we followed along through the sequence of events, and we see uh, in what Jesus did in that upper room a pattern what Jesus has done. In laying aside his glory, a picture here of him taking off his garments, coming to wash, feed, a picture of his death, burial, and the crucifixion to save sinners. But then also that, as we've just heard, he... After he had washed their feet, he took up his garments and took his seat, a picture of Christ being restored in the picture of his glory and seated at the right hand of the Father from on high. But in that context, as Jesus sets it out, he says to them, do you know what I have done for you? Now, right on the surface, they would say, well, yeah, you washed our feet. And that is true. But there's so much more. What would you say the answer to this question is? What's the significance of what Jesus has done? Now, if you respond like a theologian, you might say, well, you washed our feet to show us that our feet, which are dirty, so we are dirty. And as our feet need to be cleaned, so we need to be cleaned and washed from our sins. And that's clearly in the passage. That's, that's a proper answer because Jesus told Peter if he was not washed, then he had no part in him. And Jesus was not talking about the washing with the water, indeed the washing with Christ's blood. But Jesus is teaching more here, for he goes on to say, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. That's right. It's right that you should call me teacher and Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Jesus makes it very clear that he is set an example for the twelve and through them, for the church, down through the ages, each and every one of us, that we are to serve one another. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes that Christ, victorious, ascending on high, he gave gifts to men, and he goes on to recount the offices, and particularly the enduring office of preacher or elder, those offices that abide even to this day. And Paul writes there that these then, these officers who are, uh, gifted by Christ are given as gifts by Christ to the church for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. 
So God has given us, Christ has given us officers, elders, and deacons to equip us as the church that we would go forth and do ministry. So often uh, people think, well, yeah, the, the, the officers, they, they have work of ministry. And we'll cheer them on. We're all for them doing the work of ministry. But we are called to the work of ministry. We are helped and equipped by these men for the ministry that we are called to do. The service, this uh, serving of others is not limited to the officers. Indeed, we're called to serve under their leadership. We want to know what service looks like. Christ has given us deacons, and we see how they serve in our midst. We know what that looks like and that we should go and do it. Jesus' actions serve as a picture of costly service. The service that he has in mind is costly, sacrificial service, motivated by a heart of love. Uh, You all are familiar with the the various terms in the Greek language of love, agape love, which is a decisional, intentional love that's costly, sacrificial, uh, where we set ourselves aside in order to serve others. I want to look at four attitudes, right heart attitudes, uh, that are related to doing this kind of service that Jesus calls for. We need to first have an eye for the present need have a heart attitude where we have an eye for the present need. This chapter begins with John telling us that Jesus had, that he knew his hour had come. The hour of his sacrifice. And thus there were specific things that he needed to accomplish. There were specific things that he was going to do before he was arrested and led away. And we find ourselves in the midst of that, in the upper room discourse, in these chapters in John. Things that he are doing, things that he wants to teach the men. We too, uh, like Christ, we should be mindful of the time. Uh, The men of the tribe of Nephali are commended in the scripture for they were men who understood the times. They knew what needed to be done. And so it is that we should serve with wisdom to minister to present needs. Not imagined needs, not needs from the past, but indeed present needs of others. If there is fear, we should serve with a Christ-like love for perfect love casts out fear. If the church is beset with strife and factions, let us serve as peacemakers. Christ in the Beatitudes commends that peacemakers shall be called the sons of God. If there are suffering and sorrow, then we are to serve to bring comfort. Think of the first chapter in Second Corinthians. When others are suffering, then we come alongside them to comfort them, even as we have been comforted, comforted in our suffering. So it is we need this attitude to seek to meet present needs, real needs, the tangible needs of others around us. We should also cultivate an attitude of urgency. There are two times that are not known to us. The day of our death. We may see it drawing near. Jesus has a mindfulness that he's entered that hour. But typically we don't. Now we might have an illness and we can see death approaching, but we don't know the time of our death. It's unknown. And then also the time of Christ's return. We don't know when that will be. And Christ in his parables urges us to have urgency and particularly in service. Uh, one of his parables, he says that the faithful servant is ready for his master's return, not knowing at what hour he will come, and he's being diligent to dispense with his duties. He tells another parable where like the head servant, the foreman over the others, he was beating and abusing the fellow servants when his master came at an hour he did not expect and he received justice. We don't know when he's going to come. So we need to have this sense of urgency. 
it's all the more challenging in the time that we live. Uh, we live in a time in the world, and I'm sure it's always been like this. It's just we live in these times where we're surrounded by those who indulge in sensual pleasures and indulging flashy appetites, amusement, entertainment at every moment. It's so easy with the th- devices that we have in our pockets or in our hands. Rather, let us be watchful, knowing that our master is coming. Christ is coming again, and we don't know at what hour he will return. There's no road map. There's no path. There's no flow chart to tell us when Christ shall come. It'll be like a thief in the night, and therefore we should be watchful. We should be urgent, and the good and faithful servant is such a one, and Jesus makes it clear in his parables that such a one will be rewarded. So watchful service will mean that we are busy about our master's business. An attitude of urgency. And third attitude uh, was modeled by Jesus that is worth our adopting. Uh, Jesus is ours from the cross. It's remarkable when we see Jesus doing these things and taking the time. He's ours from uh, literal hours, from his greatest hour, the time of his uh, arrest and uh, his being beaten and spit upon and a crown of thorns placed upon his head and you know, being drug out to the city and nailed to Roman cross. That's hours away. And he's thinking about others. And so we want this attitude of meeting the need of others. And not just dirty feet. Sometimes it is dirty feet, right? There's sometimes where we literally need to wash dirty feet. Uh, that would be kind of rare for us. We wear shoes and that's not so much an issue. But that may happen. Jesus is going to spend these next several hours teaching his disciples and preparing them for what lies ahead. Their master is going to be taken away like a criminal. And yet he focuses on them. He doesn't celebrate his prestige, his position, his power, his greatness. No. He even rebukes them because that's what they're focused on, isn't it? They've just had this argument. Who will be greatest in his kingdom? Still not understanding what he's come to do. But Jesus has told them in answer to that, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God? is the servant of all. He who takes the lowly place. The Apostle Paul captures this so well in Philippians 2. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. We need to look after our interests. We have responsibilities that no one else can address. But even as we're doing that, we also are to look out for the interest of others. We need to meet the need of others. This is the mind that we're to have in us that was in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says just after that in Philippians 2. And we see that here. Jesus, he's facing his greatest sacrifice, and yet even in the midst of it, he's helping others. He's meeting the needs of others. Fourthly, an attitude that relates to the previous one, but is more focused. Remember, this chapter begins where we're told that Jesus loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. We learn that Jesus loved his own. So the attitude of service teaches us to begin in the household of faith. He loved his own. Jesus is in the upper room with the twelve. He's not on the streets of Jerusalem. That time is over. He's there with the church, ministering to the needs of the body of Christ. You look at the end of verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. There are many 
many one another responsibilities in the New Testament. If you go on our website or on Sermon Audio site, you will find a whole series that I preached on the one another passages. This is just one. And as I was preparing the sermon, I, I was struck by, it's like, you know what, I don't think I preached on this one. And I really sought to preach on all the one another passages. I'm sure that I dealt with this reality, though, of serving one another. We have a responsibility to whom? To one another. Those who are the household of faith, those who are in the body of Christ, those who are fellow heirs with us in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have been united to Christ by faith, knit together to make up the body of Christ, he the head, and we are the various members and parts, but also as the scripture talks about us as a household or a family. Is it not true in our homes that we have a greater concern and more focus on those who are in our own household? Indeed, it's a responsibility of a father and a mother for their own children. Well, they may look out for others, even as we do when we're together on other occasions. You're watchful for others' children. But it begins in the household of faith. And we are a family. Under God, our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a responsibility to one another. We're sisters and brothers. This is the focus of Jesus' parable in Matthew 25, when he has separated the host of humanity, the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. And the king then commands those and rewards those who are on his right hand for what? They did the service unto the least of these my brethren. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So Jesus would have us care for the household of faith. Jesus did not set up a a foot washing station on the streets of Jerusalem, washing the feet of all those he came by. He washed the feet of the twelve in the upper room. And so we're to have an attitude of service that is directed to the members of the body of Christ. Our attitude is important. Our focus is important. Here we looked at just four aspects of attitude that are important. The need to seek and to minister to present needs. An attitude of urgency, an attitude of meeting the needs of others, in particularly that service be directed to those who are members of the body of Christ. We all understand that we are called to love Jesus Christ. And we know that we are called to love one another. We deal with the first and second great commandment. Surely that has ramifications beyond the bounds of the church, but it begins within the household of faith. This love is seen when we take on the form of the servant and we meet each other's needs as God has equipped us and where he has placed us. Notice that. As he has equipped us, we're not called to go forth to meet every single need that we encounter. We need to do so within the means that God has supplied. We need to do it within the circle of influence of those that are around us. But there's something more here. We must not only be humble in serving But we need to be humble in receiving service. Sometimes that's more difficult, isn't it? Well, let me help you with that. Oh, no, no, I know everything's okay. But but brother, sister, you surely have needs. It's all covered. What can I do? Nothing, everything's okay. Right? We see Peter was that attitude. He was unwilling to let Jesus serve him. And he was instructed. And so we must have the mind that was in Christ that we not only humble ourselves to serve, but to be served. Can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you? We need one another. And when we're in need, we should welcome 
those in the body of Christ who would help us. Jesus says in John 15, or 13, 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Notice that Jesus does not say that he's given us a sacrament. He's given us an example. I mentioned last week that where we were at in southwest Virginia, there were some denominations that wrongly understand this text. They, they think that Jesus has set down a sacrament here, and they, they gather and they wash each other's feet. But Jesus t- says that we should do as. He says we should do as he has done, not what I have done. You see, the danger would be here that if we went forth and you know, had a ceremony, as it were, we gathered, we just washed one another's feet. And we said, okay, we've obeyed Jesus. We've washed feet. That's done. Nothing more to do. And we'd be wrong. If we were going to serve, do the service that Jesus calls for, then we must embrace, as Rick Phillips puts it, embrace a lifestyle of humble, sacrificial, personal ministry. Christians are to live in a way that gladly stoops to perform even menial tasks, get this, that will convey the love of Jesus to a watching world. The world watches us. We're told in that book of Acts that as the church is growing and flourishing and they, they're doing exactly what Jesus is teaching here. They're caring for one another. There are those who are being brought into the church who have no means and have great needs. And those who have means, it's in their ability, they're meeting those needs. And the world looks on and they say, see how they love one another. The world takes notice when we do that. Many years ago, um, our family was in uh, Goose Creek, South Carolina, and we had a, um, he was more than a musician, a visiting evangelist, a traveling teacher. His name was Bobby Michaels. He came to the church and sat at the piano and ministered devotionally and played songs that he had written. It was a wonderful evening. But I, I can never forget that he talked about how he took a group of young people into a refugee camp. I believe it was in Laos. I may be wrong about that, but I think that's where it was, Laos or Thailand. There were refugees, I think, from uh, Vietnam and other places that were displaced. Uh, so he came in with uh, 30 or so Christian young adults. And the first night they were there, they, there was a stage set up, and he had a concert. He sought to talk to the people, much like he would do at our church, where he was. Nobody was interested. Nobody came. The next day, that team of young people undertook foot washing. In that refugee camp, they had set up, we'll call them latrines. I think you know what those are. And uh, they were broken. The people had continued to use them. And to the point that they were unusable, there was so much human filth piled into those various rooms that were set up around in this camp that they had become completely unusable. The stench of them went throughout the camp. The, The spread of disease was massive. So the next day, that group of young people, they washed feet. They got shovels and buckets and hoses and water, and they cleaned up and got every one of those units functioning. The next night, when the people were invited to come, the whole camp came to hear, who are these people? What do they have to say? Because they had washed feet. They had ministered to the needs of others. You see, the world notices when we stoop to perform menial tasks that convey the love of Christ. Well, there's many applications. We've made applications as we've gone along, but just let me ask you two questions before we take up our second point. 
take up the, the one that may be harder for us to be honest to answer. Or maybe we don't want to answer honestly. Are you willing to let others serve you? Now, your impulse might just say, well, of course. But think about the last time somebody offered to help you. What was your response? How often have we pushed back? Say, oh, no, no, I got it. It's okay. It's not that big a deal. We can say all kinds of things. We need to be humble enough to let others serve us. The world is watching. But then the obvious question, are you willing to sacrifice and love others by serving them? Sacrifice to the degree that Jesus has demonstrated here. Well, secondly, let us consider that doing this type of service, serving Jesus results in blessedness. I've taken this word because what does Jesus say in verse 17? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I can't help but think of the old elder I served with down in Virginia. That was one of the verses he would say often. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And indeed, it's a good reminder. Now, you remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and so on. Blessed, or blessedness, is sometimes translated, I think the NIV translates it as happy. But this word that is used there is so much more than happy or happiness. This blessedness, it comes from God. And true blessedness is something that he alone can give, and it's much more than an emotion of happiness. It's not a fleeting sort of thing. Jesus teaches here that there's the blessing in obedience. Isn't it true that usually when we're obedient, that we're kind of like, okay, I'm a calendar and I'll be obedient, right? But here Jesus says, you know, you're blessed. So much more than happy. It's sort of like when we think about joy. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is uh, a gift from God. It's the reality that we have in the Holy Spirit. This isn't just obedience for obedience sake. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus' uh, teaching is not just setting out a lifestyle of duty and drudgery. Uh, you young people, older teens and whatnot, isn't that often the way you think about your, your mother, your father says, you know, I want you to haul out the trash, you know, go clean your room. It's like, <sighs> I know, I, I used to be a, in that age group too, and it's like, oh, it's just a duty, drudgery, you've got to do those chores. But see, Jesus is not teaching that this uh, service is duty or drudgery. What he's teaching here and elsewhere is that living as living a Christ-like life for the right reasons and the right attitudes results in a blessed state. So what does this, what is this that Jesus is talking about? What does he want us to know? He says, if you know these things. Well, I'm going to borrow again from Rick Phillips here. I'm not quoting, but following. He gives five things. I've renamed them a little bit. He shows that there are at least these five things that Jesus wants to know. The first thing that Jesus wants us to know is that he is Lord. It begins with that. It flows from that. Jesus wants us to know that he is Lord. In our text, what do we hear Jesus say to the 12? Verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well. In other words, he says, you're right. You're right. I am Lord. We need to understand it. As our teacher, Jesus shows us, and he teaches us by example. And as our Lord, Jesus has set down what he requires of his servants. And it would be true then that, 
we would be very poor students if we did not follow the example of our teacher. Secondly, we'd be poor and unprofitable servants if we did not obey our master and our Lord. Because there can only be one master. Jesus says later on in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And what we most often find ourselves struggling with as believers is serving God, serving the Lord Christ. We know that we should, but then we slip off into serving ourselves. We want what we want, and we go to do what we want to do. And then we recognize the sinful in us, and we find this dividedness. You can't serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. You'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. And thus it is that Christ, by his spirit, would lead us to love him and serve him alone. We must repent every time we usurp the role of the Lord of glory. If we truly want to be blessed, then we must know that he is Lord and follow him alone. Secondly, Jesus chose to be a servant. In this text, we see it pictured so clearly that Jesus strips off his outer garment, he girds himself with a towel, and he washes filthy feet of his followers. No one compelled him to do this. He chose to be a servant. But before that, he chose to leave the throne of glory and to come into the world to save sinners. He came to be the servant of those who were undeserving and unworthy. Jesus willingly came as a servant. He chose to be conceived in his humanity by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary to be born of her, to be God incarnate. He, as God, chose to serve us by becoming one with our humanity. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's the reality of the incarnation and the coming of Christ that we celebrate this season. Jesus chose to do so. For him, the course of service he knew would take him to the cross where he would die. And yet he chose to do so. So it is for us, we must choose to be a servant. Because if we're being compelled to do it, then our attitude is not that of a servant. Thirdly, that we must know that we are not greater than our message. Look, master, look at verse 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor he who is sent greater than he who sent him. We need to know that. We're not greater than our master. Therefore, let us never think that some act of service is beneath us. But with grateful and willing hearts, willing hands, let us die to self and live to Christ. Fourthly, we should know that it is proper for our master, or what is proper for our master. We should know what is proper for our master is proper for us. There's no task beneath us. Kings tend to think that certain things are beneath their station. You know, CEOs, they think that, no, there's, there's some task in this organization I'm not willing to do. I can remember hearing about one of the, the, the great uh, men who you know, led an organization from you know, littleness to greatness. And he was bringing in a young, young man along, and as they entered the building, uh, they passed the janitor. And the man, the CEO, stopped and greeted the janitor and asked about him, knew him by name and his family and situation. And as they were walking on, he said to the young man who was mentoring, he says, you need to know everyone in your organization, even right down to janitors. You need to care for them. You need to be concerned for them. But what Jesus is teaching, that there's nothing below us. A pastor can change a baby's diaper. 
or babysit children for a busy mother. A father can wash dishes or help with the laundry. A woman with a Ph.D. can teach Christian ed to children in the study hour. A young oil, a young adult or an older teen can clean a toilet or haul out trash to help a busy mother. Young children even can clean up dog poop in the yard so the toddler doesn't step in it and bring it into the house. Sound too gross, graphic? Now these are the things we're talking about. Service of others. Jesus washed filthy feet. The fifth thing we should know is that we are saved and then sent to serve. We are saved and sent by Jesus to serve others with a heart of humility and love. Jesus does not send us overseas to a foreign country. Most of us will never go to a foreign shore. Most of us, our mission field is next door or across the street or around the block. Someone we pass in the community. We have needs in our congregation that can be met by needs, members of the congregation. I have been blessed to see uh, you uh, serving one another, preparing meals when illness overtook a family or when there was a new child in the home. And there's so many other ways that we can serve. Ask. Offer to the deacons. Speak to the deacons. They should know what the needs are. Say, I'm available. These are things I can do. I don't know how to uh, fix a, a faulty outlet, um, but I can plumb a toilet, you know, plunge a toilet. You know, offer. Make these deacons know. Younger moms, ask older mothers for a hen. Teens, look around. There's many of you teens who are old enough to say, hey, you know, can I watch your kids so that y'all can get out on a date? And teens, you don't need to be paid to do that. It's a way to help in the body of Christ to the glory of the Lord. Or maybe some of you teens are old enough that you can offer to clean a house of a busy mother and help in these ways. We could go on and on. But we are to know these things, that we have been saved and we have been sent by Christ to serve. This passage makes it so clear that he has called us to follow his example and to serve one another. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, God so loved the world that he gave. The Father gave his Son, his only begotten Son, and he came into the world as the Father's gift to save sinful humanity from sin, death, and hell. This is why we celebrate the incarnation of the God of Son, the Son of God. He came to serve his creatures rather than to be served. Isn't that amazing? Almighty God, I mentioned this before, Almighty God came to serve those who had rebelled against him. You know, we think about Christ coming and serving, and indeed he did, but the Father sent his Son. The Father so loved the world that he sent his Son, that he gave him to be a sacrifice for sin. What we see is that our God serves us. He he does it in ways that we take for granted. He's sustaining this creation. He's sustaining us in our being and in our life. He serves us as the Creator. Jesus came then as the Father's servant and humbled himself in service all the way to death. Praise God for Jehovah's servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us as a people. We have received so great a salvation. And in being a saved people, then he calls us to serve, beginning in the church and spilling out around to those about us. When we are ready and willing to live out Christ-like love and service, costly service, the world will notice. The world will be attracted because the world doesn't live like that. 
Christ will be exalted. And we will also be a blessed people. That's not my promise. That's the promise of Christ. Amen? Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we do marvel that you would invite us into the work of Christ, that you would invite us as your redeemed people to serve others as Christ has served, that we would continue the the work and service of Christ to be multiplied uh, in the midst of the church today and even beyond. Lord, bless us to think more highly of others than of ourselves. We so easily have a high opinion of ourselves, Lord, but we are called to put others first. Lord, we pray that you would bless us to celebrate the the goodness of your gift, the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us to send us to serve. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.